Good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Oh, that was weak. I'm over here watching you. You look kind of feisty today. Start singing about this, how I fight my battles. Like four rows emptied out. People come marching up to the front. Oh, let me show you. Yeah. You like you're having fun? Yeah, you need to fan yourself for sure. Oh, my goodness. Listen, it is so good to be at my home church in the house of the Lord. If you were going to bolt because pastor was here, you already missed your opportunity. There's no long prayer unless you're going to stand up and just walk out right now. And we'll just pray, Lord, forgive them on their way out. Keep them safe. I am just always honored that my pastor would uh, ask me to fill in this pulpit. I, I don't know about you, but my experience has, I have a world-class pastor who is one of the best in the business, who speaks life into me. Yeah, come on. Speaks life into me, mentors me. I love the word. And, and I love the fact, sometimes you just don't know what he's going to say. You know what I'm talking about. There have been moments in services, you've looked at your partner, your friend, whatever, like, did he just say that, like, out loud? On recording, he calls it like it is, and ain't nobody afraid of it. So we, we love that. Pastor, if you're watching, uh, thank you. We love you. We honor you. Uh, and so life is good. I don't know how your summer is going, but if you'll take a look. This happened to me uh, uh, last week. Uh, look at that right there. Come on. Come on. That would be my son. And Victory's very own, uh, used to be known as Gabriela Torres, now is known as Gabriela Owen. What's up, girl? Welcome back from your honeymoon. They're over here waving everybody. Come on. This is what happens when your father's preaching the message and you just got married. First, I want to say thank you to uh, our church family for how well you loved us and, and just, just supported us. Uh, this is my firstborn. Uh, getting married. And as you can see from the photos, thank God this boy looks like his mother. Uh, he did not get them looks from me. And Shirley, you did a wonderful job. Uh, we are grateful. This looks like a little, little magazine cover or something. I'm going to get in trouble for saying all this when we get to lunch today. They're going to be mad at me for embarrassing them. But a uh, little funny story behind this. Uh, we were sitting at our kitchen table at, at, at our house, which all big conversations uh, in the Owen household starts at the kitchen table. That's actually a picture of my kitchen table. This is my home, right? So if it's real and it has a lasting impact, the conversation typically happens at this table. Uh, it's funny sometimes because a conversation will break out. People will come just pouring out of different rooms because, oh, the kitchen table just fired up. This is going to be a good one, right? So people have been disciplined and semi-Shanghai at this table. They have been encouraged, encouraged and loved at this table. They've been coached. We, we come from a coaching family, right? Uh, whether you want it or not, uh, my wife and I are going to coach you up if you come into our house. Whether that's marriage, your first interview, whatever it will be. And it typically happens around really good food at that table and everybody just weighing in. And so we're sitting at the kitchen table, which is actually the title of the message today. And... Uh, we're sitting at the kitchen table, and Gabby and Ethan look at me, and, and, and the deal is done. She's engaged, and uh, they're engaged, and they said, hey, we want you to do the wedding. Right? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> and they both kind of looked back at me like, what? I said, no, I don't want to do the wedding. Well, you're the only person we want to do the wedding. I said, do you understand the emotional state? Me, myself, going to stand up in front of everybody and cry like a bleeding idiot in front of the world, uh, no, we're not going to do this. They're like, well, no, listen, you're the only person that we want to do. And she drops some, some phrases on me that just she knows how to melt my heart. Both of my girls do. And I said, okay. I said, but here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to be able to hold it together during this wedding. I'm going to pre-record what I'm going to say. And if I get blubbering so bad, I'm just going to say pause and hit play. And y'all can watch what I wanted to say in the first place. This is my prep for this. And what they said to me next was very interesting. They said, listen, here's why we want you to do it. Above and beyond, we love you. But we don't want a stiff, stale wedding. We want people to feel like they're sitting around here listening to you talk to us. That's what we want for our wedding. We want them to feel like, and in my words, we want them to feel like they're sitting at our kitchen table talking about it. Because this is the same place where, where I've looked at him and said, hey, man, uh, this is, what, kind of, what kind of leader do you want to be? What kind of father do you want to be? We talked about his career at this table. And, uh, and so I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, and last week, honestly, it's so selfish when I say this, the greatest wedding I've ever attended in my entire life. It was just flawless. It was fun, except for a couple of tears. I did better than I thought, right, a couple of times. I was looking at her forehead. I was okay. And then one moment, I, I was feeling a little strong, and I locked eyes with her. I was like, oh, oh, and I just started crying, couldn't handle myself. But we made it. We made it through. And uh, most of the words that I said to them last week at that wedding had little, little to do with that moment. They were extensions of conversations that we had had, and, and they go something like this, like, look, uh, your wedding's going to be beautiful. It's going to be an incredible day. But what makes a great marriage isn't what you do on that day. It's what you do every day afterwards. It's what you do when no one else is looking and the white dress has been put up and and clean and and now it's just every day. And you know what? Faith, our faith, is a lot like being married and having a wedding. And here's why. You can trace them both back to big moments in your life. I can tell you where I was all 150 times I gave my heart to Jesus, right? Come on. I'm a church brat. That's all I know, right? I didn't want to go to hell. I'm answering the call today, right? I had my own little express lane, no pass, free charge, just get out of his way. We hope this kid makes it. But you can trace it back to these moments in time where you said, hey, uh, I do and I will for the rest of my life. But everybody knows the same with the marriage with your faith. Just because you met Jesus, you haven't discovered the greatest parts of him yet. You have not discovered and you have not tapped into the depth, the breadth, the height of his love for you, his ability to rescue you, his ability to to encourage you, to speak life, to sustain you. And so what happens is this, you settle for what you put into with your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to put a little, I'm going to start meddling early today. Uh, Say it this way. You deserve what you tolerate in your faith. Right? And so here's the thing. Oh, I thought he loves us all. He does. It's not him I'm talking to. It's you. You and I will, my, listen, I'm counting down the days until I get on a plane and I, I take off and I'm celebrating with my wife. We're leaving August the 3rd celebrating 25 years of marriage. That woman, come on, she deserves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's persevered, she's held on, uh, you know. uh, Poor woman, just pray a blessing over her. She has to live with me every day. 25 years. And I remember when I said I do. I remember when I sang to her at our wedding, but I'm gonna tell you, we're a long way from there. And it hasn't changed that when she walks into the room, I still get that smile. tears. Give me a second. Press play. (laughs) Sorry, didn't record that one. In fact, it was so bad last week that Dan actually texted me this week, and he said, hey, Chris, we're excited about you preaching at Victory. Can you hold off on the tears, please? 
Can, can you dial him back? I said, I'll do my best. But the greatest moments of, of my marriage didn't happen on that platform 25 years ago. They've happened along the way. A lot of times when no one else was looking and it was just she and I sharing a moment, sharing a conversation, and throughout our journey, uh, there have been moments where uh, I miss her. You ever had that with someone that you, you, you've been with for a while and you, she was right beside me? I kept, we still shared the same bed, but life had gotten so busy for me that I, I found myself living in a house with a woman that I missed. How many times do we do that with Jesus? where we just live our lives giving very little thought because we're caught up in the hassle and we forget to turn and look and go, hey, there you are. You are the love of my life. You are my king, my savior, my salvation. You're faithful even when I'm not. And so today I want to invite you, pull up a chair to my kitchen table because let's, let's have a conversation about what it looks like to have a life-giving faith. Now, if you're old school in this room and you have a problem learning from a woman, uh, you might need to leave now. And I'm not going to close my eyes because if you walk out, you deserve everything you're getting. Because we're going to learn from a lady today. Turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to take a look at a moment near the end of Jesus' life that I think teaches us an incredible, gives us this great view of what a life-giving faith looks like, what it moves you to do. And I think you and I will be able to walk out in about 15 to 20 minutes from now, and we're going to be able to go, okay, I, I have the ability to gauge my faith. I've got some practical things that I can walk out of here with. So here's where we find Jesus He's in the town of Bethany, and he's over having dinner. This is right before, this is the beginning of the Passion. He's been telling that his disciples, I'm going to die. It's, it's a, he's trying to inform them this is going to happen. This is going to take place. And so if you've got your Bible, Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Now listen to this. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, now, let's just stop for a second. It's a duty healed. If it wasn't, he'd be violating ceremonial law, and we know that he was perfect. So now we find Jesus in the house of a guy who was an outcast in this world, who they said uh, had to announce his presence. Everywhere he went, unclean, unclean. And Jesus is now hanging out at his house having dinner. We see the power of God at work. And here verse 7 says, A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? Don't you love it when Jesus comes out of left field? Say, why are you bothering her? Shut your mouth. <laughs> I love it. Keep talking to me says, why are you bothering her? The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, that uh, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I want to read 13 again, because this is a huge moment. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the, your word. 
God, I pray that over the next few minutes you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, eyes to see what we need to change in our lives, and God, the courage to take that next step. Lord, no one in here deserves you. Lord, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God, I'm not up here because of something I've done, but what you did to make a way for me. Father, we thank you for the redemptive power of work that was done on the cross and in the empty tomb. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So let's learn from the lady for a second while we're sitting at the table. John identifies her as Mary. Mary's mentioned three times in Scripture. First, she's mentioned sitting at his feet, Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. uh, John 11 says she came to his feet in sorrow after the uh, the death of Lazarus. And here we see her in John 12 and in Matthew 26. She's worshiping at his feet and anointing him. See, Mary, Mary's only mentioned three times. And so when we talk about what it looks like to cultivate a life-giving faith, this is not even the notes, this is the freebie, but I think you probably ought to write this down and remember this one. At a a 50,000-foot view of Mary, here's what we learn about a life-giving faith. It always starts at the feet of Jesus. A life-giving faith always starts at the feet of Jesus. We're capturing this moment where she comes in with this beautiful box of perfume. Let's talk about it for a second. Scholars tell us the value of this. This wasn't, you know, a polo, a little dab here, a little dab there. This was actually a family heirloom, more than likely. It was valued at a year's worth of wages in that time. And the box that it's created, this alabaster jar, was created in such a way there's no way to open it once and then uh, plug it back up. You actually had to break it, and it would pour out all at one time. So we see now this woman who's mentioned three times in Scripture, and all three times she is showing us the place to start our faith, the place to sustain our faith, the place to celebrate our faith is at the feet of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've done some stupid things in my life, and they have all happened not at the feet of Jesus. When I begin to drift away and I begin to read my own press clippings like I am somebody or I've done something worth it or it's just selfishness in me that comes out and I move away from who Jesus is and being grounded in that moment, that's when trouble comes into my place. Friend, if you're here and life is not going well, I'm just going to say, look around. Can you see his feet? Can you see his feet? Man, this is a word for us, church. Don't settle for a faith that checks in on Sunday and then checks in next Sunday, and then you skip a couple and you come back around. Why? You are missing out on the best moments with Jesus because they don't happen in here. They happen at home, at the table, in the closet, in the car. So we see this moment where they're having dinner And she comes in and she breaks this jar. What do we learn from Mary? What do we learn from this? Obviously, she knew that Christ was the place, the source of her blessings. He was her redemption. You see her at his feet when Lazarus died, one that she loved. She said, you're my source of comfort. And now we see her unbeknowingly, because Jesus never clarifies it, never even hints to it, she didn't know that this was a burial. She didn't come in to think he was dying. 
This was pretty common in that time for a rabbi to be honored and someone to come in and anoint them, but such an extravagant gift. There are three things that I think we can pull away from this encounter that Mary has with Jesus that has to do with a faith that you and I would want to have. The first one is this, a faith that remains. A faith that remains. That's what a life-giving faith, it lasts. And here's what it says. A faith that remains is extravagant and generous. Verse 13, he says, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached in 2019, in the month of July at Victory Church, your name's going to be mentioned, Mary, because of what you've done today. I see you believing in me. Wherever, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You want to know how to have a faith that works? Stop being stingy. Amen. Not that anybody here is stingy. Y'all are giving church. A couple of you just shot me a look like, let me show you how I fight my battle. <laughs> Relax. I don't know your business. If you feel weird, that's the Holy Spirit. Take it up with him. <laughs> Altars are open in a second. Right? But this whole idea uh, of extravagant faith, the, the way to get a hold of God's best isn't to grab a hold of the best thing he's given you so far. See, a lot of you grab a hold, and like me, I've grabbed a hold of certain things and moments that God has opened a door for me. And I said, I want to camp here. <laughs> I want to park right here. It ain't getting any better than this. And the moment I say that, the Lord goes, well, I had some, something else, but your hands are full. If you'd let go of that, those resources that I gave you, I, I'd actually bless you a little bit more. I'd bless you a little bit more. See, most of you wouldn't know. Last Sunday, I sat up here with my father and uh, sat in the balcony. He was down for the wedding. And uh, I looked at the, uh, the uh, there's a moment in, 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 the, in the wedding that Gabby had come up with the idea. She goes, I want all three of the living grandfathers, I want, I want my grandfathers that are there to come up after communion, and I want them to lay their hands on us and pray over us. I wish I would have had uh, recorded it because uh, her little grandfather, when he opened his mouth, he was spitting fire. It was like Jesus showed up and said, oh, that's one of my favorites. Let me hang out here. Whoop! And you could kind of feel the presence of God. And I looked around. One of those grandfathers is, is, is in the room today. But when we added it up, there was over 170 years of marriage fidelity that was praying over this, this marriage. Now, I don't know other than that moment I experienced with, with Gabby's grandfather. But let me tell you what I know about my father and then Dr. Hackett, who happens to be here today. These are men who have built their life around sitting at the feet of Jesus. I can tell you where they are almost every day, at what time of the day, when they're doing their devotional period, when they're listening for the voice of God, when they're sharing what they've heard. This is a habit. It's not a moment, church. If you want a life-giving faith, you got to give your life to that faith. you got to cultivate it. you got to lean into it with everything that you have. And oftentimes we hold back our best. Mary says, what are you thinking? Take the most valuable thing you have and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Most of you wouldn't know, my mom grew up in, in, in some pretty significant poverty. Her parents abandoned her uh, uh, when she was uh, very, very little. She lived with her great-grandmother. She lived in a house that certain seasons of the year, you could look through the slats in the floor and see the dirt. You get the picture I'm painting? 
right? So she meets my father. They get called into ministry. Life is going well. He's pastoring this church in Cumberland, Maryland, all right, my early childhood. He's up in the mountains of Maryland, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, this revival breaks out, and it lasts like nine weeks long. Uh, and I just remember people being healed and people being saved. And there came a season in this revival that people started just to be stupid. Now, I don't mean stupid in a bad way, but they just said, okay, God, fine. They started bringing in diamond rings and valuables. And they said, we want the church to sell these and we want the money from it to be used towards ministry and loving the community. And I'm like, wow, I remember this as a kid. This is what I grew up with, just people giving their resources, right? Well, my mom, who grew up in poverty, uh, and, 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 and as far as I know, this was the first brand-new car she had ever had. And they owned it outright, and it was a Pontiac Bonneville. Probably not my car of choice. I'm thinking more 67 Mustang Fastback, but who's, who's, who's asking? You know what I'm saying? But this was the car, right? And this is how old I am. You young people, stop judging me right now. You're going to hell. Here it comes. In fact, let's just go right here. There used to be a time where cars, you had to roll the window down. I know you don't understand. There's this lever on the car. You just crank it, and it would go down, and it would come back up. They're all going to be mad at me later. I love y'all, seriously. Thank you for letting me. Uh, this was the first vehicle my mom had that had electrical windows, the electric windows going up and down, the seats reclined, the whole thing. So as a little kid, I'm freaking out why mom's car stayed at the church. When I ride home in mom's car, I like mom's car. Well, mom doesn't own that car anymore. What do you mean? Well, she gave that to the Lord. Well, I didn't see him. Why, is, why does Jesus need a ride? I don't, I don't understand. Right? But my parents, leaders, they said, Lord, we give back what we've always wanted. Can you imagine? You grew up in a house, no insulation, you're in poverty, you're living pretty good now. You got your first brand new car, paid for, set, and you say, okay, God, I'll give it back to you. How about you take the used one, Jesus? You only had a couple loaves and fishes and you fed thousands. Take the Tercel, please. Eugene Peterson says it best, and it'll be on the screen. You want a faith that's life-giving? It doesn't start when you're stingy. It starts when you open your hands. And he says this, we don't grow in faith by hoarding and saving, but by pouring out generous acts of sacrifice in love. Let me say that again. We don't grow in faith by hoarding and saving, but by pouring out generous acts of sacrifice in love. We can be generous and extravagant because we know this. He is our supply. He is the one who provided. When you actually believe it with all of your heart, the breath I drew this morning, he gave it to me. The fact I'm standing on this platform is his opportunity and not my accomplishment. The things that you've done in your life, they're not simply because you're talented, but because you're blessed. And when you know the source of your blessing, you're very generous with what you've been given. Why? Because you just know it ain't mine in the first place. I'm just stewarding this, right? Hey, when, when I die and I go and I'm in my grave, uh, you can drop the number of what's left in my checking account, but I ain't taking it with me. And why would I? Compared to where I'm going, that's poverty money. I'm going to a place the streets are lined with gold. Yeah, get some of that. Keep the money. I'm going there. It's a mindset, right? So it's the same thing with marriage and faith. What's your mindset going in? Do just enough to not break it up. 
and maintain or go all in and go, oh, I'm about to set a record for the greatest faith ever known. People are going to be telling stories about what I'm doing simply because I'm being faithful. Man, you, you, you deserve what you tolerate and you get what you invest. That's a biblical principle. Yeah. Invest your whole life. Invest your best. Mary did it. And what do we have? A faith that remains. We're still talking about her in 2019. Some of you go, Chris, you don't understand my finances right now. You're talking about money. I don't have anything to give. I need Jesus to have a check in the mailbox by the time I get home. I'm going to tell you right now, the people that I have had in my life, none of them came from money that was handed to them. They all came of some sort of poverty, struggle mindset. And you know what they told me? We always paid God first. When we got the check, no matter how bad things were, we wrote the tithe check out. Because you will never find us robbing God, no matter what. When we're faithful to him, he'll be faithful to me. Life-giving faith, y'all, it happens when we are generous and extravagant. The second thing that we see in verse 8, a life-giving faith, what's a, a faith that rewards? There's a reward for living in faith. It says, a faith that rewards fearlessly invests what it has been entrusted. Great relationships. There came a moment in, in the wedding. In fact, we'll just go here, verse, verse 8 real quick. says this, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. She took the most valuable thing that she had and she said, the best thing that I can do with this is honor my Lord. Steward, great relationships are built out of a stewardship mindset. You're not going to have everything that you want. You're not going to be able to, but what are you doing with what you have? And where are you investing it? A little confession. You probably heard this from me if you heard me speak. I have some issues. I have some impulse control issues. I come from a long line of workaholics. Anybody else in the family? Uh, right? So this translates into my driving. You say, well, how is that? Uh, I think in the first five years of being married, I had to call my wife multiple times to come pick me up because I'd run out of gas. And she said, why don't you just stop? When it, I said, babe, every man needs to know his limits. I'm just trying to find it. It's a new car. I don't know how far I can go on. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you know, you've hit zero. You've got another 35 miles. Some cars, you've got 22 and a half. If you go past 22 and a half, you're calling somebody to pick you up. You know what I'm talking about, right? Same thing with my life is I work so hard, I find my limits when I just kind of crumble. And when we were early on and we were married, uh, speaking of being married, what if you're single in here, be picky. Seriously, don't settle. Be picky. Forever is a long time, right? And I married way, way above my, my head. And if you know me, I'm a type A uh, personality. I'm a high D. I'm a driver. I'm a full contact person, right? Conflict doesn't bother me. My blood pressure doesn't even go up. We can have awkward conversations. I'll smile through the whole thing, right? You, some of you go like, I know who you are. I married this gentle, soft woman who in certain moments of her life is like a 6'3 linebacker cross with a ninja. I don't understand. She just has this ability to step right into me and go, hey, listen, the way you're living right now ain't what I signed up for. So here's some adjustments you're going to need to make for your life. Right? Learning from ladies, boys. So here, here it is. 
Early on, we had two kids, right? Obviously, I helped bring them into the world. You know what I'm saying? I participated in that. And uh, got caught up into a season of life where I am leaving the house early, coming home late. And uh, I remember coming home and having that, that moment where my wife looked at me and she said, hey, last time I remember you helped create them, you're going to help raise them. And so you can work all that you want, but here's some stipulations. You're going to be home for dinner at least four nights a week. You can go back out. You can work till midnight. It's good. I'll see you in the morning. Please don't wake me up when you come home. You're going to wake them up in the morning and give them breakfast because they're going to know who their father is, and you're going to leave an impression on their life. And my wife came in and had to adjust. So why are you telling the story when we talk about life-giving faith? No one gets it right. Every one of us have moments where we develop a season that we're living in. It's unhealthy. It's not right. You probably meant good. doesn't mean you're evil, but you've got to have an adjustment. So in the middle of the wedding last Saturday, I told him, I said, your weddings are supposed to be positive, but I'm going to give you both a warning. And here it is. Selfishness and pride are the cancer of every relationship. And if you let that into your marriage, you're going to lose. I promise you. Right? Selfishness and pride are the cancer to every relationship. And so what do, you, what do I mean by this? Man, a, a faith that God rewards is one that fearlessly invests. You're not afraid. Fear doesn't guide you. Rather, this principle of stewardship of going, God, can I invest back? We said, what do you mean invest? Man, I've been through some stuff in my life. And so one of the things that I love to invest in is young leaders. I love it when I get a phone call from someone who goes, bro, I'm going through this. I need you to talk me up. I know you've been through this. I'm like, done. I'm in. Let's go. I want to invest. Why? That's my spiritual act of worship. I'm taking the knowledge and wisdom that God brought me through, and I'm speaking that into another person. Why? Because I know God's got more good stuff for me, and I'm going to keep telling the stories of his faithfulness. Why? His faithfulness will never end. So here's the deal. Early on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a parable. And, and we're just going to, you know, bags of gold. So we have a, a, the owner of this land and this household says, I'm going away on a trip. He called one servant in and he said, I'm going to entrust with you five bags of gold. Another one, he said, I'm going to give you two bags of gold. And the last one, he said, I'm going to give you one bag of gold. And I will expect a return on my investment when I come back. Now, if you understand Jewish culture, they weren't allowed to charge each other interest. So it wasn't like they were going to just take the money, bark somebody else, charge them, you know, seven and a half, eight percent, and they get that. They actually had to take the money, start a business of some sort, do well at that business, and expect a return to the master. And, and scripture says when he came back, the one with five eagerly came up. How'd I go? Here's the five that you gave me. I doubled your money. How many of you want an employee like that? Come on, Jesus. Let's just have that prayer for all business owners right now. Lord, we would like uh, to have some employees that would double our investment on a daily basis, please. Right? The number, the guy with two bags comes up. I've doubled your money. Here's the other two bags. But the guy with one bag walks up and he says, You're a hard driver. You expect things where you don't invest, and, and, and you just, I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I just took it and I buried it just to make sure that you got back what you gave. And the guy obviously expresses his displeasure, takes what he gave this man, and gives it to the one who had five. 
Say, Chris, what, what are you trying to say? God does not expect to get back simply what he gave you. He expects it to be doubled. He expects it to be invested and used. There is an expectation on your faith and mine that it doesn't stop with us, that it actually grows and reproduces and gets bigger and better and deeper and richer and invests in people. Can you say amen? Amen. But you're like me. Life gets busy. Southeastern University is blowing up for the last nine years, 10 years straight with record enrollment, and it keeps going. And as I continue to grow in the organization, the challenges get bigger and more complex. And so I'm just going to confess again to you, there are times that I just sit right up here or I watch from my screen at the house because I'm just exhausted and I'm tired. I'm just going, well, at least I can know I, I-, I watched and I participated, and that's it. Minimal effort. And no, none of you ever do that. That's just me. There's seasons of your life that you need to snap out of and go, no, 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 uh-uh. I'm going to invest what God gave me. And if that's a little extra, I'm going to reorder my life, but I'm going to invest what God gave me. If that's a class, if that's serving here, if that's a greeter, if that's something else, I'm going to take the gifts that God gave me. I'm going to stir those jokers up, and I'm going to give it back to God's people. Why? Because God's got even greater things for me. And even if he didn't, I still have more than I ever deserved. Yes. Amen. A life-giving faith is about the attitudes, the mindset, and the disciplines you cultivate. Why? It's not man-made, but it has to require your effort. God's plan is already revealed. I want to bless you. I want to give you everything that you need. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I just need you to step up and do your part. Unlock the blessings that I had. Does that make sense? Last thing we learned from Mary is this, this life-giving faith. And I think this is probably... The most important. It's a faith that responds because it's focused and prepared. We must live with an expectancy not just that Christ will return one day, but that we will encounter and participate in the activity of God each and every day. A life giving faith. I don't know, so I grew up, I'm fourth generation Assemblies of God, and my grandfather, we called him Pepaw. He was a second generation mill worker, toughest dude I ever met in my life. Went out to the well to get water one day, and the big concrete slab fell down, sheared his finger off. Right? You do that to me, I'm going to need a therapist. Uh, I'm going to need a recovery coach. I'm going to need EMS to maybe medevac me out. Right? This joker just walks into the house, calm as he can be, missing a finger. I think I might need to go to the doctor. Right, toughest guy I've ever seen, loved Jesus with all of his heart. And this is how he lived his life, a Bible in one hand and a newspaper or a, a news show in the other. And this is why he was convinced Jesus was coming back at any moment. Life's getting so bad, son. You better be careful, grandson. Uh, the Lord's coming back. Anybody that grew up in that same environment, Jesus was coming back. Literally, this is stuff I heard in my life. I don't go to the picture show, a.k.a. that's the movies. I don't go to the picture show. Well, why is that? Well, Jesus might come back, and if you're in the picture show, you ain't, he ain't taking you. <laughs> what? How do we deal with Netflix? I don't understand. We're all going to hell. There is this expectancy that Jesus is coming back. Open the door. Jesus might come back. Better be ready. Right? There's this expectancy. Well, I think sometimes 
that kind of carried over into I'm waiting for the big moment. I'm waiting for the big moment. So I don't really need to care for the earth. I don't really need to care for the things while I'm here because Jesus is coming back. He's going to redeem everything. No, 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 no. We get to participate in the kingdom of God each and every day. And so this idea of, of, a, of a life-giving faith is when I wake up in the morning and go, God, I hope you create a moment for me today to speak life, love, and hope to someone around me. I hope that the gifts that I have and how I operate them bless somebody else around me. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, use me today. It's living a life of discernment. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're waiting to be used. So in simple and in short, and they'll put it on the screen kind of as a summary, a life-giving faith calls for generous love, fearless stewardship, and a continued focus on the activity of God. Let me say it one more time, church. A life-giving faith calls for generous love, fearless stewardship, and a continued focus on the activity of Christ. If you'd stand with me this morning, the band's going to come back. We're going to close, and I'm about to go get my grub on with my family. But before we do, a um, couple of things. Greatest decision that I've ever made in my life and I continue to make in my life is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that I look, I can't earn it, I can't win it. There's nothing that I can do except for open my hands and go, Father, thank you. I'm a sinner, I'm broken. And here's what I would love to say is that the first time I came to Jesus, all of my bad habits, inclinations, personality flaws, and sinful nature were washed away, never to return again. Nope, wrestling them suckers down every day. Sometimes weeks and months, because I'm stubborn. There always comes a moment, I was on the way here today, and there's a song I haven't heard in years. It came across uh, Bethel Live Healer. And uh, I found myself just in tears driving to the church this morning going, Father, would you heal the brokenness inside of me? Lord, I know you can. I believe, Lord, you can touch my life. You say, well, what's wrong with you? None of your business. I ain't trying to know your problems. Don't try to know mine. It's just the brokenness of humanity where you, you just find yourself going, God, why can't I forgive people easier than I do? So a life-giving faith where I'm extravagant and generous keeps me from being selfish and self-centered. A life-giving faith where I fearlessly invest keeps me from being controlled by money and popularity. And a life of being prepared, right, looking every moment helps me as a professional, as a father, as a husband, as a brother, be mindful of other people's needs and view my own life as just somebody to be poured out, right? Hey, if you're here and that's a life you kind of like to have and you say, hey, I've never followed Jesus or maybe I followed him years ago and my friend made me come or my wife made me come. If you're feeling like you want to follow Jesus right now, it ain't because I put words together the right way. It's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you. The Bible says no one comes unto the Father except through Jesus, right? They're drawn by the Holy Spirit. So what you're feeling right now in your heart, that's a living God saying, 
I'd really like for you to come have a relationship with me. Trust me. If you're here and you're in that place, you've never given your life to Jesus, or you're very far from him today, and you'd say, I'd like to come home, Chris. Slip your hand up where you are right now. I'm going to pray for you. I'll wait for just a second. I won't wait long. Okay? We're all clean in the house. I love it. I love it. Now let's talk. Let's talk family. How's your faith doing? Have you leaned all the way in? Have you broken open the jar of the expensive stuff? Or are you holding back? Because here's what I know. Church folk, there's some people in this room, you helped found this church. You've literally given thousands of hours and dollars to this church. And maybe there came a moment where you said, hey, it's somebody else's turn now. Was that you or Jesus? Is he done with you? Or do we need the wisdom of experience that you bring to the table? Some of you, you've been consumed by the checkbook and the balance that's ever decreasing and the bills that are ever going up. And you're like, man, operating in faith, that's a Disney World conversation. I'm trying to survive. Jesus has something for you today. Your faith is never more real than when you have to have it. Right? So if you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, I want you to pray with me about my faith. I want you to pray with me. I've been wrestling with it. I feel like I've been maybe sitting back or God's got something different for me. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand up where you are right now. We're just going to pray a prayer over you. Yeah, all across the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray a prayer over us that God would ignite our faith, right? And if you have failed at this faith journey, you've fallen by the wayside more times than you can count. Can I just say you're not alone? I'm right here. Get back up. Try it one more time. You won't regret it. But I'm going to pray over us that God would ignite our faith. And then I, that I'm going to turn it over uh, to the worship team to light it up. And then they'll kind of sing us into our dismissal. Is that okay? Sound like a plan? Hey, if you want something from God, open your hands up, palms up, and let's do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, there are people across this room that simply said, God, would you increase my faith? Lord, I want to learn from Mary this morning about what it is to bring what's most valuable to me, my time, my resources, my talents, and lay them at your feet. Father, today we're simply asking, teach us to be people that, Lord, live at your feet. God, that we're here. We lean into you, Lord, for our, our sustenance. God for our, God, for our healing, for our restoration, for our provision. Father, in this room today, ignite our faith that we would be people that, Lord, would be ready to participate in your kingdom every day, serving other people, encouraging, giving of our time. God, that we would fearlessly invest what you've given us into other people, into your kingdom. And Lord, that we would come and be extravagant with our love. God, bless this church, Lord, as they follow you. God, change us, Lord, from the inside out, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, hey, let's lift our voices. Come on, get your hands together.
yourself this morning. Cause I give you glory for all you brought me through. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. I'm moving forward. Cause I'm moving forward to follow after you. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. Can we sing it together? Your presence. Your presence is in
God, we thank you for everything that you've done this morning. Continue to speak to our hearts and bring us safely back here tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. If you still need prayer, you can come up to the front. If not, we hope to see you tonight. Have an incredible day.